0: Father, we come to you today with hearts of gratitude for this great book, book of Matthew. It has a—it's become a friend for me, Lord. I have learned things about you, Jesus, through this book that have been so glorious, so meaningful that in many respects I'm sad to have to deal with the last paragraph in this book. You have been so real in so many ways, and we pray that you'd be real again today as we consider the great commission a passage that many of us probably know. We could probably quote it, but we need to live out um, in fresh and new ways. So uh, perhaps today uh, would be a a defining moment for some um, individuals in our church who would feel your call on their life like you did with Beth and could just put on their hearts a sense of this is what I want you to do and I want you to step out in faith, so go and do it and I'll be with you. And uh, so God used today to confirm convict and maybe call some people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today we come to the end of our study in Matthew. It's been quite a journey. I don't know if you realize this, but we've been in this book for two years. We began April 19th, 2009, and there have been over 70 messages on this book. Hopefully you don't feel like, yeah, we know, uh, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> next week, we're going to draw the whole series to a close, where I'm going to preach an overview of the entire book, chapters 1 all the way to chapter 28, and then next week I'll tell you where we're going this summer and then into the fall. In the last couple weeks, we've really uh, dived deep into the passion of Jesus. We've seen him betrayed, we've seen him beaten, we've seen him crucified, seen him buried. And then last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we celebrated his resurrection. What a... What a moment to be able to say that he is risen, he is risen indeed, he's alive. We heard the angels say to the women at the tomb, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He is risen, as he said. What a great text. We learned last week that the resurrection changed absolutely everything. It it was a defining moment, a game changer, if you will, that that changed the the whole landscape of uh, the message that would be proclaimed around the world. Our text today, in Matthew 28, is not only the final passage in Matthew, but it shows us the implications of this radical change implicit in the resurrection of Jesus. What happens here is that this gospel ends with a charge, a command, a mission, where Jesus, as the resurrected Christ, instills upon his disciples their next charge. In other words, he's saying to them, my mission is finished, but yours is is just beginning. and so what happens here is that matthew ends but yet it seems as though there's there's more to be written. matthew's aim was to be able to present the christ the, the messiah the one who's going to bring god's kingdom to the world and it ends as though there's still another chapter to be written that there's something more to do that really this is the beginning of the story not the end and you know what we're a part of that story today. In 2011, College Park Church, along with the disciples, has received this this great commission from the risen Christ, this mission to make disciples of all nations. And what happened is that from a small little band of followers, Christianity spread all over the planet. What Jesus calls His disciples here, too, is an understanding that now they're to go and do what He's done to them. And so Jesus gives this final charge that his disciples are to fulfill his calling to go and make disciples and if you know christ as your savior today this is your mission this is why you are on planet earth this is why god put you in the womb of your mother you are here you know christ this is your mission this is huge This morning I want to show you this in two ways. I want to show you the unstoppable mission of the gospel and then spend the bulk of our time looking at this whole notion of what is so great about the Great Commission and then what in the world should we do. So first, the unstoppable nature of this mission. So Matthew begins this Great Commission text by setting it in the context of um, the religious rulers colluding with the soldiers that were at the tomb to cover up the resurrection of Jesus. If you'll remember, his resurrection, or even the rumor of it, would be the worst of their fears. It would never end. They knew. And so, therefore, the text tells us that when the soldiers came to the religious rulers, they attempted to create a story to somehow hide it. Look at verse 11. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And it must have been a large amount of money because notice what they will say. They said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. The reason it had to be a lot of money is because right there they just would have admitted that they were derelict in their duty. Because there's a lot of things soldiers can do, but one thing you can't do is sleep when you're on your post. And so they're asleep, and then the very thing they were supposed to prevent from happening, Jesus being resurrected or his body being stolen, as the story goes, that that exact same thing happened. And so the, 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 the rulers, the religious rulers of the day, give the soldiers a lot of money in order to create this story, and then they tell them that they'll help them if things go bad for them, verse 14, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble, in verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, one of the main reasons that Matthew puts this in here is so that the readers will know that the story circulating, even when Matthew had written this gospel, that Jesus was stolen by his disciples, that Matthew's like, yeah, we're on to that. This is how that story happened. So one of the reasons he writes this is so that those who would read his gospel would know that there was this kind of false story that had been spread, and Matthew wants to show them where this came from. At the same time, there's another thing that's very interesting to note here. It's remarkable how many ironies are implicit in verses 11 to 15. 15. And these ironies show us, once again, that God's mission is unstoppable. In other words, people who never intended and never wanted to be part of God's plan, and even people who are trying to stop God from doing what he's doing, become unwitting and unwilling figures in playing out of God's drama. In other words, when you play on God's field, you don't get to pick what team you're on, and God, by the way, is orchestrating who wins the game. And even when the religious rulers think they're winning, they're actually losing, And when they think they've lost, or if there's no point in it, God is using even those events in order to orchestrate his plan. Notice a couple of the just um, ironic things. The guards, who were supposed to be preventing the resurrection of Jesus, actually become the first witnesses to the religious rulers. So the first time they hear the good news that Jesus was raised from the dead was from a group of probably Roman soldiers. Notice as well that the soldiers were put there at the tomb as a form of security, and they become... Post-resurrection, the greatest security threat. They have to be kept quiet. Because if they start telling the story, my goodness, who knows what will happen. Third, notice the religious leaders worked really hard to prevent a situation where the disciples could steal the body of Jesus, and yet that's the very story they tell. They, they, they warned Pilate that, look, we can't have this story um, happen, and yet it's the very story they tell. They're scrambling. The religious rulers also, who are so scrupulous about Judas's blood money, now pay an enormous sum of money to cover up the resurrection. And then notice this, that in our text, it was just a few days ago, that in front of Pilate they called Jesus the deceiver, and now they are the ones who are willingly, knowingly, and intentionally deceiving the people. I mean, it's just irony after irony after irony. And the point you get here is that no matter what they did, God is always one step ahead of them. No matter how they acted, God is already using them to accomplish his purposes. Even, even the things that they do in spite, things they do because they're mad or trying to protect themselves, God even uses those actions. And you get this sense that while the religious rulers are trying as hard as they can to manage their lives, it's clearly they're completely out of control. And that there's a sovereign God who's orchestrating all of these events. Do you know how frustrating that must have been? I mean, no matter what they try, God still keeps maneuvering around them. You ever had that experience? Just this sense of no matter what I do, God's always either one step ahead. Or ever tried to play a game with somebody and they just were so superior in their knowledge that no matter what you did, you always lost? I have this experience every once in a while. My kids will say, hey, Dad, you want to come downstairs and play video games? And so... I'll go downstairs and I'm like, what's this game? It's called Call of Duty. Okay, what do I do? Don't get hit. <laughs> oh, hey, who did that? Ah, you know, I, I see. I'm the, I'm the sacrificial lamb here. That's what I am. So I've got a plan. I'm like, hey guys, let's do Frogger, right? Come on, let's do that, right? Or maybe Asteroids. You know, remember that one? Blast from the past there. The fact of the matter is when you enter into someone's world and they're highly expert at it, you feel as though everything you do plays into their plans. And this is just a small picture of a mega picture of a sovereign God who's orchestrating all of the events. You're playing in his game. He not only sets the rules, he governs the rules, he directs the rules. In fact, Jesus is the one who said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, listen, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What is Jesus saying? In that text, he's saying that God has a plan, God has a mission, God has a purpose. God intends to build his church, and there is nothing... Hear me. There is nothing that will stand in the way of that mission. I don't care how big the government is, how secular the culture, how much persecution comes, or what the devil throws at the church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And even though the religious rulers during the day threatened the disciples after Jesus was resurrected, even though they imprisoned them, even though they tried all of these things, the effect was that the gospel still spread. In fact, my goodness, Acts chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that even priests came to faith. Look what it says. And the word of God continued to increase. You can't stop the word of God. You can try and burn it. You can try and prevent it. But the reality is the gospel, when it's embedded in the hearts of people, creates an unstoppable movement of people. Such that the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, this is what happens when people really come to understand what the gospel is all about. When they really understand that there's a holy God and that they're sinners and that Jesus came and paid for their sins and they received Christ, and then they hear this message, your sins, past, present, and future, are all forgiven. Now go and spread this news. When that gets in your soul, that's an unstoppable group of people. In fact, Tertullian once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The reason is because God is orchestrating all of the events, and when you know that you serve a sovereign God and your soul is safe, and the reality is, You're an unstoppable force for the glory of God. Two weeks ago, our pastoral staff attended the Gospel Coalition Conference. We heard a great sermon by Matt Chandler who explained why the Apostle Paul was so free. You get that sense, don't you? You read the New Testament and you're like, this guy was free. He was just free. And and he helped explain why. He said this, you'll never meet a man as free as the Apostle Paul was. You can't touch him. In fact, the religious rulers said to him, we're going to kill you. And Paul would say, all right, just time to go home. And then they would say, we're going to let you live. And Paul would say, all right, to live is Christ. right?" And then they'd say, well, we're going to beat you. And he'd say, well, you know how that is. I welcome that. That's sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And finally, they'd say, well, then we're going to put you in prison. And Paul would say, well, then, great. I'll just convert your guards and half your prisoners. Right? So where does that come from? You know where that comes from? That comes from this indomitable spirit knowing that to live is Christ. Knowing that God is in control, that his followers are free, it means that the mission of the gospel is unstoppable. That God is orchestrating his plan, and those who know the power of living under the banner of the resurrected Christ, they live life differently. Well, this has some really significant meaning for all of us. First would be this. Listen, if you're one of those people that you you think you can oppose God, you can try and live your life a particular way and and do things your way, and God says, no, don't do that, but you're going to go your own way. I can just tell you, time after time after time after time after time, that road is littered with body bags of arrogant people who thought they could mess around with God. And if you're on one of those paths that I, I would just tell you, friend, you don't know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a sovereign God who can orchestrate all the events and all it would take is just one thought for him just to go, okay, that's it, bang. And you know what? It's over. God uses circumstances to try and wake you up. And the fact that you're alive and you can even hear these words today is only a, really a measure of God's grace that he has still tolerated. You're messing around with his control. The religious rulers tried it, and everything they did, God just found a way to get around, and even use them. So God even is still in the business of doing that very same thing. Secondly, this mission being unstoppable means this: that when look, when life gets really dark, here's the lesson: don't panic. Some of us we're so convinced that life is supposed to go really well and easy, and everything's supposed to be fair and nice and neat and clean, and um, and then God allows things to come into our life that are really hard. And the first lesson that you just need to take away from this, if you know Christ, is this, when life gets really dark, don't panic, because biblical history is filled with examples of how God came through when everyone else thought everything was lost. It means that God is always working out His plan, that we're just a little part of it, and you may not see what's going on right now, but the reality is God's mission is unstoppable. It may not make sense right now, but one day it will. And finally, always just keep this in mind, that God is doing things that you don't see. You may pull out a world map and look at a particular region of the world and think there, there's there's nothing that's a completely dark, enclosed country. And I bet when we get to heaven, we're going to be really surprised about little seeds of the gospel that God has planted in that country that are bearing fruit in ways that you'd never know about, never see. But don't assume because it's dark that the light is all gone. This mission is unstoppable. Jesus here gives them the disciples this thing that we call the great commission. Jesus decides that having his mission completed he is going to commission his disciples now to fulfill his calling. Therefore he gives them this great commission. What's remarkable when you look at it in its totality are the number of number of usages of the word all or always in this passage. Look at it in Matthew 28. Now, and when we come to the word all, I want you to say it together, okay? So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Remember that, because that's really, that's really helpful, because he's there, and yet there were some who still were doubting. It gives us hope for losers like us. So, um, and Jesus came and said to them, "Sit with me, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, good, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you got all, 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 always. What's going on here? Well, what Matthew, I think, wants us to see, and what Jesus is saying is this, that the victorious Christ, the, the victorious Christ now calls his disciples to a global mission and then promises his continual presence with them. In other words, what happens here is we see this all, always, all thing that's happening. There is this universal lordship, meaning that Jesus is saying, I won. I came, I died, I'm alive, I'm the king. And what, what Matthew wants you to see and understand from the very beginning of this gospel all the way to the end is that he is the king, the Messiah, the, the one comes who's been brought to, to, um, to bring the kingdom of God to the earth. He's been brought here, and he is now king of kings and lord of lords. And so this universal lordship then creates this universal mission, which is go into all the nations. And then when you're doing that, remember that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So... We'll look at these three parts, this universal lordship and mission and help. So first, the universal lordship. So they go to a mountain in Galilee. Verse 16 tells them, Now the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So this is where they encountered Jesus. It's significant that they go to Galilee, and it's even more significant that they go to a mountain. And the reason is, is that big stuff happens on mountains. Just think of the Bible and and the various things that happen in the context of mountains. So where was the Ten Commandments given? On Mount Sinai. Think of Elijah on Mount Carmel where the people of Israel are gathered. He says, how long will you halt between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve him. And if God is God, serve him. And then they have this this contest. Or think of even in the Gospel of Matthew, all the things that happen on a mountain. Um, Think of... um, the transfiguration, think of the Sermon on the Mount, think of Olivet Discourse, think of the Gethsemane Prayer. All of these things take place on a mountain. And so Matthew gives us this scene, and yet he doesn't tell us of other moments when Jesus showed up. For instance, John tells us that Jesus showed up in the upper room in Jerusalem. That's when when Thomas said, and Jesus said, put your finger in my hands and in my side. Matthew doesn't have any of that. Matthew doesn't have any of the story of the road to Emmaus. None of that. All he has is this one event. Because Matthew wants you to see Jesus on a mountain in Galilee. And on that mountain in Galilee, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I won. He wants you to see this king who is promised is now the victorious, ruling, reigning king. Everything that follows in verses 19 through 20 are conditioned on this singular and really important statement. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So what does he mean, all authority? That word can mean rule, it can mean power, it can mean right, it can mean freedom or ability. In the context here, it means rule, but rule in a realm. So it's not that Jesus is saying, now I have power that I didn't have before as if before when I was on earth I had particular power, but now I've got all the power. No, he's not indicating that he somehow is more powerful than what he was before. Instead, he's indicating the realm of his victory. So now he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's, he's communicating to them that these two separate areas of life, this heaven and earth dominion context now, that Jesus is the one who now has all authority for all of these areas. That the Father has given him this authority through the conquering of death, and Jesus now becomes the one through whom the Father will mediate his rule. That Jesus becomes I love this, the mediatorial king. He becomes the king. He's not only prophet and priest, but he's king. And it's through him that God will mediate his grace. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. That's why Jesus said that no man comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because he is the mediatorial king. That's why the heart of 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 Christianity is Jesus. Not the Bible But Jesus, why? Because he's the mediatorial king. That's why Philippians 2 says, God highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Listen, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he was prophet, he spoke the words of God, he was priest, the one who created the appropriate, and full sacrifice, but now he is king, the one who mediates God's rule. He's prophet, priest, and king. Or to put it in one word, he is Lord. In the book of Revelation, he'll be called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Meaning, you got little kings, and he's the king up here. you got little lords, and he's the Lord up here. He has all authority. All power. is what led Abraham Kuyper, the prime minister of the Netherlands and a great theologian to say, there is not one square inch on planet earth over which the risen Christ does not say mine. And so with these two realms, heaven and earth, that are distinct and separated, Jesus is saying that the battle That I've won has set the stage for the union of God with mankind. That battle has been won. And we look forward to the day in Revelation when the text says, And God will come and dwell among them, and He will be with them, and He will be their God. Therefore, everything is under the banner, according to Jesus here, of the lordship of Him. So it's this lordship concept, the fact that Jesus isn't just the savior, that he's lord, he's king, he's ruler, that everything is underneath the banner of his realm, that when you receive Christ as your savior, you're not just asking for him to forgive you of your sins, you're asking for him to take over For you to take the flag down on your castle and put up his flag. And to say, there's new ownership here. There's a new king in this castle. And granted, there's lots of little vassal kingdoms that we're still trying to conquer. But at the end of the day, the battle over who's going to rule this land has been won. And the flag over my land is now Jesus. So his lordship, this rule, this reign, this sense of all authority, when you understand the beauty of this power of what it means for christ to be lord then the implication is then go take this everywhere in fact that's what happens next the universal mission universal mission is such that that jesus says go and make disciples in fact that little phrase make disciples that's the main thrust of the passage Um, it's the only word that's actually a command the other words are participles. Not that they're not important, but the main word, the main phrase is make disciples. That's the significant point. If you were to go and to make disciples. So going, baptizing, teaching are important, but they're, they're secondary. The, the main task that we have is to go and, and, and replicate ourselves. In other words, the mission that God has given us, listen, is not just a teaching mission. So it's not just an impartation of information. So my aim on Sunday is not just to impart information to you, to have you sit there and learn and be good students and take notes, and so you walk out of here with more content. That can't be your goal in parenting either, to have kids who just simply can recite verses or give good Sunday school answers or somehow know their, their information. No, the Great Commission is about discipleship, which means life change. It's not just about information, but it's about life radically changing under the banner of who Christ is. So therefore, you need to know that discipleship is not like a higher level of spirituality. Sometimes people think, well, I'm a believer, and then there's disciples, like there's like a believer class, and then there's like a disciple class. There's no distinction. To be a follower of Jesus means that you are a disciple. If you're not a disciple, you're not really a believer of Jesus. You can't you can't have one with, without the other discipleship is Christianity and the call of Jesus is to go and make disciples to To begin that in the context of our homes make disciples of our children Because after all the best place to live out your theology is in the context of your home And, and then to be able to live that out in your small group and the group of people that are around you And then to be able to take that to around the world to anyone who will listen and help them understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus So he says make disciples and then it says baptizing and teaching others to observe So there's two other parts here that relate to what it means to be a disciple the baptism This is so closely linked to discipleship in the bible that you really can't have one without the other The reason is that it's an outward demonstration of an inward reality It's significant. Baptism doesn't save you, but you know what? It certainly does communicate that you're the real deal and for those of you who would say, well, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. It's just a, just a symbol anyways. My pushback on that would be okay. So go home, tell your wife you're not going to wear your ring anymore and see how that goes. And just tell her, it's just a symbol. It doesn't really mean anything. It may not mean anything to you, but your marriage should. And this ring does. In the same way that baptism is a dynamic symbol. It communicates something really powerful and really significant. And then he says not only baptizing, but also teaching them to observe So the the idea is not just that we're teaching for information, but teaching that leads to obedience. So you're teaching to observe, not teaching to know, but teaching to observe. Jesus says, all that I have commanded you. In other words, the goal of discipleship is not just simply getting out information, but rather being sure that it's translating into life application. As I've said before, spiritual information without application leads to self-deception. So if you have information, but you don't apply it and don't live it out, then you just simply are self-deceived, thinking that you've retained the truth. Because just because you know the truth doesn't mean you are necessarily living the truth. And if you're not living the truth, then you don't really know the truth. And then finally, the, the command here is that we are to go to all nations. So Jesus links... This discipleship calling to a universal scope as far as how far it's supposed to go. He says, go therefore and make disciples all nations. So remember, he's, he's making this statement on a mountain in Galilee. Galilee is known for Gentiles. And so Jesus makes this final statement on a mountain in Galilee. It's, it's unbelievable that he ends his gospel this way. Because remember how he began it he began it with this this crazy introduction i mean you don't you don't start a, a a book with a long list of boring names but here's how he starts it the book of the genealogy of jesus christ the son of david the son of abraham you hear me that's not a boring list of names that's a marker to say he's the son of david means that he's the coming king He's the eternal king, because remember, God promises David that you will have a king who will come from your line. And then to Abraham, he says, in you, all nations of the world will be blessed. So the book begins with a promise, Jesus, the king, will bless all nations, and it ends on a mountain in Galilee saying, all authority, I'm the king, go to all nations. It's fabulous. It's a fabulous way to end the book. And then encourages us to be able to live out this calling. So the disciples are then given this mission that is to be universal in its reach. In other words, the missional footing of the disciples and of us is that our leaning should be that our aim is to go everywhere and anywhere where there are people who do not love and know this king to go all over the king's realm, because all authority in heaven and earth, he owns it all, to go into the king's land and tell them about the king. And so therefore, our disciple-making efforts are such that we have to really be guarded that we don't become homegrown or internally focused. Or have the church become a cul-de-sac where we just come on Sunday so our kids can get more education about what it means to be spiritual so they can go home and obey us so we can watch golf on TV and not be bothered. Because the reality is we live in the midst of a culture that has, tries to convince us that the real plan is this. Go to a good school so you can get a good job, so you can make lots of money, so you can buy nice stuff and have nice kids so they can get a good education and they can have a good job and so they can make lots of money so that your grandkids can have a nice school and can have a nice job and can make lots of money and then it keeps going round and round and round and round and i got to tell you, that's not why we're here. We are, we are not here to be able simply to play on that sort of treadmill that the leaning of our lives should be the ever-increasing, ever-expanding of God's kingdom in anywhere where the light of the gospel isn't shining. So, so listen to me. This is a mindset. This is a philosophy that if you know that the mission of God is unstoppable and if you believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ and if you understand that this mission is that you are to go, that changes how you conduct yourself in your neighborhood. It is unconscionable for somebody who's a gospel-loving believer to not know the names of their neighbors. You're not there to live. You're there to be light. It's... When you go to your job, you're not there. You are not. You're not at your work to work. Okay, you are there to work. Don't get me wrong. But but you're not. You're not there to do your job. You are there to do your job in the context of trying to make much of Jesus. Saturdays aren't just for lawn care and soccer games. They could also be to use your gifts with serves, to be able to go to another part of our city, or to be able to give yourself. Your money is not just for you, so you can have a nice retirement and and, and, and end your life collecting seashells by the side of the beach or something. The, the, The reality is that's not the dream. And in northern Indianapolis, in 21st century America, friends, we've got to remind ourselves this because our goal is not to look like, be like, act like, spend like, and live like everybody else. We've got a mission From this king on the mountain of Galilee said, All authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. And he freed us to live in such a way that, what's going to happen? If they kill you, it's bonus, right? If you suffer, it's with Christ. If you live, then start converting people. This freedom that Jesus gives. But the problem is that so many people treat the church like it's a cruise ship rather than a battleship. We have a mission. Get off the lawn chair. Let's get into the battle. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It is to go anywhere where the gospel is not. Now listen, this is something as a church we have to continually work hard at especially as we think about a new facility and more people as a staff we are talking often about how do we be sure that as we even expand the platform of this ministry that we still have a give it away spread the gospel build God's kingdom reach the unreached mindset because I don't want simply another building so that somehow we can create a cul-de-sac mentality it's one of the reasons why the entire month of October we just talk about missions over and over and over and over and over. Because we want you to really understand this is an important part of who we are. It's why we have Serve 11, like Dale talked about. It's why we have this to remind us that that Sunday and church ministry is not just about us. In fact, last year in our budget, over 40% of the overall money that came in and was given out to the church, 40% of it had nothing to do with what's happening at 96 in town. And I just think that's a really important thing for us to continue to strive after. In fact, one of the things I love about this church is even, even in the midst of giving to a mission expansion project, you still gave over a half a million dollars to reach unreached people groups around the world. I, I love the fact that um, last in the last five years, get this, we've had 16 people head to the mission field in the last five years from this church. People like the De Bruins, Hennies, Myers, Doddridges, Sanders... I love the fact that right now we have 10 people who are preparing to follow these other folks and head to the mission field as well. And and then I love the fact that we have got 55 missionaries, 8 global partners, and then we even have 55 people in something called Gym Night, Journey in Mission, of people just trying to explore, how can I figure out how to get more involved in a global perspective of what foreign missions is all about? And, And I'll tell you what I can't wait for. I can't wait for it. I'm going to lay it down today. I can't wait for the day when our Christmas offering tops $1 million. And I would like to see that be five years from now. And say, you know what? By God's grace, five years from now, let's have a Christmas offering so large, so significant, that while we're growing everything else, let's be sure that we not only grow that, but we also grow the scope of what we want to see God do around the world and really take this mission of global evangelism and going, going, going seriously if you understand the Lordship of Christ and you understand this mission, when when that gets in you and you understand how beautiful the Lordship of Christ is and you see the darkness and you're like, Jesus called me to go, then you know what it means? It means you live on less so you can give. Some of you are like, I I could never go overseas. Great. Just live well below your income level so you can give money away. It, It may mean you invite people over who are different than you. It means that you can serve in an area of city of the city that isn't familiar to you. It means that you go someplace, maybe that's far, far away. It means that sometimes you even go to places where people don't want you to be there. And, and, and what you do is you realize that this universal lordship demands this universal mission. If you get this, then you will have in your mind the calling to do something that's somewhat risky. If you get the lordship of Christ and you get the urgency of this calling, then there will be this leaning to say, you know what? I'm going I'm to go across the cubicle and I'm going to have this conversation with this person and I'm going to talk to them about spiritual things and it could radically change the relationship forever. I'm going to invite that person over. I'm going to consider going on a vision trip. I'm going to serve on, on Saturday and serve 11. I'm going to consider maybe some of you today that, look, God's placed on my heart that maybe... Global missions is where God wants me. And if that begins to birth within your heart, you're going to need something to keep you in the fight. And it's this. It's the universal help. And that is that Jesus says, I am always with you even to the end of the age. See, here's the beautiful thing. After this, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. After this, go into all the world and, and, and make disciples and do risky things. And then if you get that, there's going to be scary things. And then Jesus says, but just remember, I am with you. Always. He knows what we're like. Even on the mountain of Galilee, there were some who were doubting. He knows that we're weak. He knows that, he knows that we are prone to fear. And that's why He comes and lives among us. And that's why He gives this promise. The promise is that he will be with you always. Every step, every situation, every moment, when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel like you're being stretched, when you're starting to reach for the panic button, the reality is Jesus is there. And there's nothing sweeter when you take a risk and Jesus shows up and you know, yes, you are alive! And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because your life is all about safety and your happiness... And just simply having a comfortable life and you think you're living, I'm telling you, you don't have any idea what living is like. Until you have seen the beauty of a risky conversation when you know everything is on the line with the next things that I say and Jesus shows up. When you see God, I need a certain amount of money in order to go on this short-term mission trip and it comes in. Or you see with your eyes the foreign mission field and you see what God is doing and you know, yes, this was costly, this was hard, but God, you're I taste you and you are so sweet, Jesus, that you are always there. I, I'm not calling you to do something that is hard alone. I'm calling you to do something that is good for you and sweet and that I long for you to be able to taste and see. And so Matthew ends with a, Command and a promise, a promise given to those who understand that this mission is unstoppable, the lordship of Jesus is universal, and this message has to go global. And so, this is how this book ends with the risen Christ saying, All authority has been given to me. Go, go, go. Go make disciples of all nations. And when it gets hard and risky and fearful and you're wondering how are we going to do this and what's going to happen if they kill us, just know I am always with you. And even if they kill you, I'll still be right there. And you'll wake up in eternity and it's game over. So what's holding you back? That's the question. On the mountain of Galilee, it's as though Jesus says to his disciples, what is holding you back? Because when you're scared, Jesus says, hear me, you are never alone. Father, I pray that in the midst of so many things that would cry out for our allegiance and our affections that today you would help us to see that all authority has been given to you. And I pray that because of the beauty of this lordship, because of the power of what it means for you to be king, that you would unleash a people who would just love to do great things for you in your kingdom. Oh, I pray for, for teenagers and unmarried people who are trying to decide their future right now and single adults who are free in ways that others aren't. I pray for young married couples, some who maybe are in the middle of their the drumbeat of running kids back and forth, preparing for college, other parents who are now have empty nests and are free, some who are in retirement age. God, I, just, I pray that from every avenue of life you'd call people to fulfill this great commission, to, to be a part of your rule and your reign. So give us courage, God, for those conversations that you're going to put in front of us and opportunities to be able to be your witnesses in our culture. And listen, while we just have this moment of prayer before I let you go, as as Chuck just continues to play, there's some of you here who are preparing for the mission field, and there's some of you who today, you feel this tug that says, you know what? God may be calling me to a foreign mission setting, and I don't know what's going on, but I... I felt this calling, or maybe you feel it for the first time today, and I want to pray for those of you who are either preparing for a four-mission setting or, B, sense like maybe God's got his hand on that in your life. And I just want to pray for you. And uh, what I'd like you to do, if that's where you're at today, that fits you. And just as a testimony to the Lord, and acknowledgement of his work in your life, I'd like you just to stand right now. And I just want to pray for you as we leave that you're preparing right now or you feel God's tug that, you know what, someday, somewhere, I, I may be in a completely different location than Carmel, Indiana. And I just want to say, God, I'm, I'm here and I get it. And I'm ready if you want me to go. Anyone else? Just, I'm here, Lord, we're here. We're just saying again on this Sunday, the first day of May, that when it comes to this Great Commission thing, we get it, and we're ready if you want to send us. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, or in worship too, or over the internet who may hear this message, that right now, you by your spirit would just encourage their heart, give them faith to believe confirm in their soul the calling that you have on them and give them an ever-increasing vision of what it means to reach a dark world with the glorious light of the gospel god help us to cut the ties of things that hold us that are good things but hold us from accomplishing this great commission and i pray for my brothers and sisters who are standing today that god you'd make their path clear that under the umbrella of the authority of this church that they take steps to talk to Pastor Nate to be involved in a gym class or to simply take whatever action steps need to be to figure out what it is that you're saying. And we pray that you would guide them and direct them for your glory and for the good of your church. And we pray this in the precious name of the risen Christ who has all authority in heaven and earth. In that name, we pray this over them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, listen, we've got some folks up here afterwards. If you need to pray with someone, got something going on in your life, they're here. All right. We'd love to pray for you today. Don't leave if you've got a burden and need someone to talk to you. Okay. All right. God bless you, Couch Park. I love you. Have a great day.